0: Good morning. My name is Don Pusick, and I get to be a guest speaker for you this morning. How many of you have been with the church for longer than two years? Wow. Okay. Well, I saw some of you then at your other meeting place when you used to meet at the high school. And uh, so it's been a while since I've been with you, but I've looked forward to it. And, um, and what would you think if I were to tell you that I got this Christmas gift Over two years ago. Now, I I am married. I have six children. Uh, That may cause you to question intelligence, maybe, at that point. Not being married, but having six kids. They're all growing up on me. Four are out of the house. We have two at home still. And I work for the Arkansas Baptist State Convention, which you're a part of, and which I'm always grateful to say thank you to a church that gives to missions through uh, Southern Baptists and through Arkansas Baptist. And so you would think I'm a reasonably intelligent person. And so if I told you I had a gift and I'd carry it around for two years, what would you think? Well, you'd say, Don, you missed the point, wouldn't you? That's a huge missing of the point because the whole purpose of the gift is to do what? To open it. That's right. And so um, people do it different ways. My kids take after me. We tear into it, rip into it. We don't pay attention to where the paper lands. We do that. We deal with that later. My wife's very dainty about it. Maybe some of you are that way. She peels the paper back as if she's going to keep it, and she doesn't tear it and that sort of thing. But it doesn't matter. The whole point is that you open up the gift. And this morning I want to talk with you about God's greatest gift to His children, and that's the gift of worship. Worship, something of what we just participated in, but bigger than what we just participated in, the gift of worship. And yet to talk about worship without experiencing worship is to leave God's greatest gift unwrapped. And to help us understand worship this morning, we're going to look at King David in the Old Testament. In fact, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture in Second Samuel chapter 6, looking at an occasion when David danced, and that's the title of this message, when worship gets out of control, David danced in this passage of Scripture. In this chapter, in 2 Samuel 6, King David has already attempted on one occasion to do something that had never been done before. The ark of God that contained the Ten Commandments had not been kept in the city of Jerusalem. And he wanted to bring it into the city. And so he begins to bring it in. He and some guys put it on a, on a cart, and they're bringing it into the city, and it hits a bump in the road, and the, the, this incredibly valuable, valuable symbol of the presence of God begins to slide off the back of the ox cart. And a man named Uzzah puts his hand up to stop disaster, touches the Ark of the Covenant, and immediately drops dead on the ground. David is horrified. David is stunned. He doesn't know what happened. He doesn't understand. He, he's a little angry. He, he stops everything. They leave it at a guy's house nearby. And he goes back to the city and weeps before the Lord. And he, he does some research with the, the Bible scholars of his day. And they discover they had been carrying the Ark of the Covenant all wrong. It was supposed to be carried on poles on the backs of men not on the back of an ox cart. God had given very specific instruction, very specific directions. So understanding that, we come to this passage of Scripture where the story and the tone of the story is about to change dramatically. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 12. Now it was told King David, saying, The Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him on account of the ark of God. That was the guy where they left the ark. And the whole time the ark was at his place... He was blessed. He was successful. Stock market was crashed. His profits were increasing. It was a whole different experience. So it says, David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom into the city of David with gladness. With gladness. Now I want to pose two questions this morning. The first question is this. What happens when worship gets out of control? There will be a second question, but we want to deal with this one first. What happens when worship gets out of control? People react in different ways. The first reaction that we see in this passage is that like David, some people react by dancing. He, He was out of his mind with excitement. He was out of his mind with joy. We come and we continue reading in verse 14, and we see that David was dancing before the Lord with all his might. And David was wearing a linen ephod. So David and all the house of Israel, and if you go back to verse 1 of this chapter, you see that's at least 30,000 men. David and all the house of Israel were bringing up the ark of the Lord with shouting and the sound of the trumpet. His true colors were exposed. For the very first time, The ark of God, which represented the presence of God, was being brought into the city of God. And David is thrilled beyond imagination. And it overflows and affects him physically. In his mind, his heart, he is worshiping God. Now I know when you came to church today, you did not anticipate that a Baptist minister would teach you how to dance. But this morning, I want to share with you what was happening to David. These are David's dance steps the true worship. Are you ready? Step number one. True worship begins with awareness of the person of God. We call that reverence. That's what was happening to David. He was sensing the presence of God. Now, we know with our heads that God is everywhere. That God is omnipresent. When I left Conway, Arkansas yesterday afternoon and drove up here God was in Conway. I know because I talked to Him when I left. And when I arrived here in your community God was here. I know that because I talked to Him when I got here. Now, I made that journey but God didn't travel. God didn't travel from Conway to here because God doesn't move from place to place. There's no place I can go where God is not. And we know that's true because God is big. He's big. He's just so big. And and, and so I can illustrate it this way. I can put my hands on this little podium. I can put my right hand on this side of the podium. And I can put my left hand on this side of the podium. Now these are two different points in space and I'm in two places at the same time. And you say, big deal. It's not a big deal, is it? But for God, there is no point in space where He is not. Now we know that with our head. But there are times in our walk with God, maybe in a Sunday school class or a small group study or in a worship center like this or driving down the road just thinking about stuff, that all of a sudden I become aware of the presence of God, not just with my head, but with my heart. And it just sometimes takes you by surprise. But we sense the presence of God. And it affects us. It affects us physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally. It affects us in every way. And and we respond to that. But the first reaction is reverence when we sense the presence of God. Step number two. True worship is expressed as an inward bowing down to God. In every area of life, we call that obedience. You see, David was living this way. As David sensed the presence of God in his life, he was doing that. He was yielding to God everywhere all the time. And, and this is the truest understanding of worship that you and I must understand. We must grab hold of it. And, and it's the concept that, that pervades the Old Testament and the New Testament, even in the very language used to describe worship. If you take the words for worship in the Old Testament in the Hebrew language or in the New Testament in the Greek language, they have a common theme. For example, in Exodus chapter 7, verse 16, we have the account of the the Exodus where Moses is going to talk to Pharaoh. And in verse 16 of Exodus 7, he says this, You shall say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, sent me to you, saying, Let my people go that they may serve or worship Or shakah, me. That's that Hebrew word, shakah. Now what does it mean to shakah? Let me show you. Here it is. You ready? This is what God wanted to, that that fought the gods of Egypt and set His people free so they could go out in the wilderness and do this. This is what He wanted. You ready? This. This is shakah. Let my people go that they may shakah, me. means to bow before someone of great authority. When we come to the New Testament and we look at the words for worship, we see something very similar. In Luke chapter 4, for example, the devil is tempting Jesus. And we read Luke 4, verse 5, "...and he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish." Therefore, if you worship or proskuneo before me, it shall all be yours. Now, what was the devil saying when he said, I want you to worship me, Jesus? This is what he was saying to him: I want you to worship or proskuneo before me. This is proskuneo, okay? Proskuneo takes longer than it used to. This is proskuneo. Proskineo. Proskineo means to lie prostrate before someone of great power and authority. And it comes really from two Greek words. One is pros, which means towards, and kuneo, which means to kiss. I like that. And it means to lead with the lips. That's why the idea of lying prostrate is captured by that. To lead with the lips. Proskineo. And so the picture that forms from the very words for worship in the Bible is a picture of a yielding to God, a bowing down to God 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, all the time, in every area of life. It's not just singing a song. It's a yieldedness to God in every area of life. And then, as we sense the presence of God, it evokes reverence. And, and this was happening for David. And then It results in obedience. We yield to God as we sense His presence. And then step number three. True worship explodes as an outward expression. We call that joy. Joy. The Bible says He was dancing before the Lord with all His might. He was coming before the Lord with gladness. It was exploding out of Him. In Psalm 1611, uh, David would later write the very last verse. He says, "...in Thy presence..." is fullness of joy at thy right hand pleasures forevermore. And so one of the consequences of the worshiper is that we go through the process of sensing God's presence, responding viscerally, emotionally, physically to His presence in obedience, yielding to Him, and then comes joy. And it's explosive. And it's part of the characteristics of the child of God. Now the Bible indicates... That there are only two kinds of people in the world. Those who worship God and those who don't. And so when I ask the question, what happens when worship gets out of control? We know, like David, some people react by dancing. But there's another response. Like Michael, his wife, some people react to dancing. This is David's wife. We read about her picking up in verse 16 of this chapter. This is what happened, verse 16. Then it happened as the ark of the Lord came into the city of David that Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked out of the window and saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, and she despised him in her heart. Verse 20. But when David returned to bless his household, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How the king of Israel has distinguished himself today. being a little sarcastic. He uncovered himself today in the eyes of his servant's maids as one of the foolish ones shamelessly uncovers himself. At one time, Michael loved her husband. I'm not sure that she ever loved his God. And I'm going to characterize Michael as a non-worshipper in three ways. First of all, the non worship worshiper observes worship without experiencing worship. And this is what Michael was doing. The Bible says that she looked out of the window, she was watching from the window. Now, think about this David is in the street. The ark of God is coming into the city. 30,000 plus people are in the streets with him, celebrating madly before the Lord. And where is Michael? Inside watching from a window. She's not a participant. She's a spectator. Now, what a caution for you and me. Because if the description of my experience as a Christian is simply that I come to church on Sunday and watch what happens in the service, I could very easily become a non-worshipper. It is not enough to watch what others do for God. We are called to be full participants in the streets serving Him. But Michael is observing. She's not participating. Second observation. The non-worshipper deeply reacts to the activity of worship as a threat to personal dignity and public decorum. It's demeaning. It's embarrassing. The Bible says she despised him in her heart. She had a picture in her mind of how the king should act. And this was not it. And he was lowering himself. She saw in what he was doing a total complete loss of this world's value system. And she was right. But she didn't like it. And so it's a threat to some people. Boy, if I follow God, and I'm going to have to do something like that. I'm going to have to be like that. I'm going to have to ask people questions. I'm going to have to interact with others. I'm going to have to do things that I don't want to do. It can back us up into a corner of being a non-worshipper. Number three, the non-worshipper rejects the legitimacy of any act of worship. It says he covered himself as one of the foolish ones, shamelessly uncovers himself. What was she saying? You took your robes off, David. You took your royal robes off. You put on the plain linen ephod of a priest. And that stuff's pretty thin. And you're out there with the, the maidservants, And you're dancing. And she's insinuating that there was something inappropriate in David's heart because of his behavior. He had to have an angle. He was doing something wrong. God cannot possibly be happy with what David was doing. And yet the truth is, David was loved by God for what he was doing, but despised by Michael. So when worship gets out of control, some people react, like David, by dancing. Others react to the dancing. Where are you? As an individual, I'm talking just to you. Where are you? Are you more like David? Are you more like Michael? That brings me to the second question I want to ask. When will worship get out of control is fine. We can talk about that. But we've got to bring it home. Any good teacher knows you've got to just bring it home, right? Here's the second question. When will your worship get out of control? When will your worship get out of control? Look how David responds to Michael's criticism in verse 21. Listen to what he says. So David said to Michael, It was before the Lord who chose me above your father and above all his house to appoint me ruler over the people of the Lord, over Israel. Therefore, I will celebrate before the Lord. I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. But with the maids of whom you have spoken, with them I will be distinguished. Michael, the daughter of Saul, had no child to the day of her death. And three times that passage calls her the daughter of Saul. Those of you who are Bible scholars, you'll remember that Saul was the first king in Israel. And he lost his kingship in part because he cared more about what people thought than what God thought. And she's called the daughter of Saul. Not the wife of David, but the daughter of Saul. Now, Ordinarily, I don't put a warning label on my sermons. But on this one, I want to give you a warning. Okay, are you ready? Warning. You will find yourself dancing like David when? Now, if you don't want to find yourself dancing like David, what you need to do right now is put a finger in each ear and go da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. You don't want to listen to this. All right? When will your worship get out of control? First of all, you'll find yourself dancing like David when, number one, The only audience you care about is Jesus Christ. And he's the only one you care about. How does David respond to Michael? Listen to what he says. Michael, dear, you don't understand. It wasn't about the people. It wasn't about the 30,000 in the streets. It, It wasn't about the slave girls. Michael, listen to me. Michael, it was before the Lord. It was before the Lord. Literally, he says it was before the face of the Lord. The only audience he cared about at that moment was God Himself. He wasn't thinking about anybody else. Didn't worry about what anybody else thought. And you need to understand that that's the way God has called us to live. Galatians chapter 1, the Apostle Paul said, if I was still trying to please men... I would not be a bondservant of Jesus Christ. I can't live with an eye to what others think and what God thinks at the same time. And it will set you free. It really will. When you realize that the only person that has to be happy with you is God. It doesn't matter what anybody else thinks. It sets you free in such a way that you can come into a room like this, like I did this morning, and I really don't know anybody, and it's okay. And I can concentrate on getting to know you and interacting with you because it really doesn't matter what you think. It only matters what he thinks. And so we find ourselves dancing like David when we have a single audience, God Himself. Secondly, you'll find yourself dancing like David when you experience a living God at work in your life. David knew the work and power of God. He, he says to Michael, he said, it was before the Lord who did something in my life. He chose me. He appointed me. Michael, I was the youngest boy in my family. I was the runt. And, and I had the assignment of taking care of the sheep in my family which means I spent day after day after day, week after week, month after month, out in the fields and the hills by myself with a bunch of animals. And I was never going to be anything. And I was never going to amount to anything. And God took me and made me a king. And the truth is, He's done that for each of us that know Christ. Because the Bible says before we come to know Christ, We're in spiritual darkness. That we're in bondage to our sin and our sin habits. That without Christ, we have no hope of knowing God or knowing freedom and forgiveness for sin. The Bible says that when you and I come to Christ and we trust Him to be our Savior and our Lord, the Bible says in Colossians 1.13 that He lifts us out of the kingdom of darkness and He places us in the kingdom of His Son. And our whole world has changed. Our whole life has changed because of what God has done. That's what David is saying. And every one of us that knows and understands what God has done in our life will be like David. Because it's not about when I got saved at some point in the past. It's about what God, the living God of heaven and earth, is doing every day in my life. How He's leading me, guiding me, enabling me. To live for Him. When you and I recognize the hand of God in our life, it will set us to worship. Thirdly, you'll find yourself dancing like David when inner joy overwhelms your need to protect or promote self. I love this part. In contrast to those who are threatened by worship, the joy sort of takes over. And I don't care anymore. He says, I will celebrate before the Lord. That word refers to an uncontrollable passion or urge where it just bubbles up inside you and you can't control it. He says, I will be more lightly esteemed than this and will be humble in my own eyes. You think it's bad now, Michael. It's only going to get worse. I'm going lower and lower and lower in the eyes of men in my efforts to draw near to God and love Him and worship Him and serve Him. And so, we sort of cut loose. And then number four, you'll find yourself dancing like David when your dancing becomes contagious. He said, these maidservants that you were talking about, Michael, these girls that you thought something inappropriate was taking place, with them I will be distinguished. With them I will be kabod, weighty, held in honor, respected. A worshiper will honor and love other worshipers of God. And... And you, when you worship, you affect those around you. I'm not talking about in the worship center. I'm talking about in life. When you go about your life as a worshiper of God, it affects your spouse, it affects your children, it affects your friends, it affects your neighbors, it affects everyone around you. And some people will respond because it's contagious. Now listen, if you're a mom or dad or a grandmom or granddad this morning, You need to hear what I just said. When I die, my kids know this because we've talked about it a lot over the years. But when I die, I want my kids to recognize one thing about me. It's not about the stuff I did. It's not about a resume. I want them to be able to say without any hesitation, my Daddy worshipped God. If I were to line all six of them up here this morning, they would tell you that my daddy worships God. And there's nothing that has had more impact, I believe, on their lives than the fact that my wife and I worship God. Children can smell a fake a mile away. They want to know people who really know God. They want the real deal. Well, how should we respond to God's word this morning? I brought something with me to help. I grew up in South Texas, and in the summertime, it got really, really hot. And my mom was a single mom for a while, and so she, uh, we lived in a mobile home uh, out in a rural area, and I can remember about the time I was seven years old, my buddies and I used to Run around all the time out in the scrub oak in the countryside. Had a huckleberry Finn childhood. I was out of control. And one summer she gave me one of these. Let me show you. A slip and slide. How many of you all know what a slip and slide is? I knew this was an educated group. This was great. We would spread this out on the grass and stake it down and hook the hose up to it and that water, that hot Texas sun would just fly through the air and and drizzle on the yellow plastic and it would just shine and glisten. It would be so, so inviting to us kids. And we would run and slide on it. We'd slide on our stomachs, on our knees, on our backs, on top of each other. And we would slide and slide and slide all day long until we got to the very end of the plastic and we would land on that Big brown mud puddle that would always form at the end. Now, jump ahead about 20 years. Now I'm in my late 20s. Not now, but 20 years after that point. I'm in my late 20s. I've got two little girls. We live in south Louisiana. And those girls are grown up now. One's a school teacher in Russell. One's a nurse, surgical nurse in Little Rock. But then they were about seven and five. And one day it was hot. In the summertime, south Louisiana, it's just hot. It is hot. You just walk outside and you're wet. You know, it's just miserable. And, and if you wait till it cools off in the evening, then all the mosquitoes come up. And so it just, you can't win. But it was hot one day, and so I said, girls, I got an idea. Go, go get your swim trunks on. I'm going to go get something. I ran down to the store, and I got one of these. And I brought it back. I said, girls, this is a slip and slide. And they said, what's that, Daddy? What's that? I said, let's set it up. And so I went outside and and I rolled out the yellow plastic. And as I did, I started having these flashbacks to when I was seven years old. I thought, this is going to be great. And I rolled it out and I staked it down. I hooked the hose up and the water's flying through the air and it's glistening on the yellow plastic. And the girls are standing there in their swim trunks. I said, now, girls, look at how slippery that is. Now, before you get on it, let me show you how it's done. <laughs> and so I, I, I went back, and I backed up, and, 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 and I ran at the yellow plastic. And all these thoughts are going through my mind. I want you to know I did it just like I did when I was seven. I went airborne, and I'm thinking, this is going to be so good, and I landed. Boom! But I didn't slide. In fact, it knocked the wind out of me. I couldn't breathe. And my girls, they just sort of collapsed and fell in the grass and they're rolling around holding their little tummies. I said, I said girls, <coughs> girls, it's kind of like that. And they had a great time after that. You know what God is saying to you and me? He's saying like a, like a seven-year-old boy, South Texas. I want you with your whole life, I want you to come. I want you to throw yourself at my feet. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes and as the band comes up, we're going to have a time of response. And there are different ways you could respond. I don't know how God spoke to you today. We're going to have a moment where we pray and we sing and in that moment you may just want to continue praying. Just talking to the Lord about what He said to your heart in these moments. If it helps you, helps me sometimes, I, I go to First Baptist Conway when I'm in town and helps me sometimes when my my God speaks through my pastor that, that helps me sometimes to get up and just slip out of the chair and just sometimes come and just kneel at the steps in the front and and in a public but still a private way, just say, Lord, I heard what you said, and the answer is yes. Perhaps you're here this morning you realize that, that, that you don't have a relationship with God, and you'd like to know what it is to become a Christian, to have all your sins forgiven, and to live your life for an audience of one. I invite you to come. I'll be standing down at the front. If you have questions, I'll answer them, and I'll use the Bible to answer those questions and share with you how Jesus came into this world as the very Son of God. As a human being, He was totally dependent on God for everything. He showed us how to to have a life with God where we're dependent on Him. Then when He goes to the cross, God puts on Him all sins, and Jesus dies for our sins, the punishment we deserve and to prove that all sins were forgiven, God raised Him from the dead. The Bible says that if we'll confess Him as Lord, let Him have directional control of our life, believe in our heart that God has raised Him from the dead, the Bible says you shall be saved. So if it's your heart cry today to have your sins forgiven and begin a new life with Jesus in the driver's seat, I invite you to come. I'll pray with you. I'll guide you through that process. And you can leave here today a follower of Jesus Christ. Maybe you just need someone to pray with you, period. Stuff's not going well. And you just need someone to pray with you. I'll be here. I'll be glad to pray with you. So as God has spoken to your heart, how will you respond? Our Father in God, we thank you, Lord, for the time of worship we've experienced today. We sense your presence here. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come in this time of response. We ask you to blow away all the fog and distractions and the clutter in our minds. And we want to give you our full attention and let you speak to us. And Lord, whatever you direct us to do, whatever way you want us to adjust or change our lives, together, Lord, we want to say yes. That's our desire. For we pray in Jesus' name.